Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Today, I'm going to do a message on end times. And I don't know if you know, I'm so glad you guys are excited. Uh, I don't know if you know, but this was in fact the most requested message that we had. I thought that I thought other things would be more requested. No, it was this end times uh, is what people want to hear about. And you know, I got a bit of an idea about why they want to hear about it because it feels like we are in the end times. You just think about it. If you live in Melbourne, uh, Australia, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is in fact the end times. It has been a crazy 18 months to two years and I am glad to see the end of this season. But we've been, just in case you're new and you've been hiding in a cape somewhere, we've been in a pandemic and uh, we have had, I, I, I think it would be fair to say that we have had some political upheaval in, in this state of Victoria. I think it would be fair to say that there have been times where I have gone to the shops and I have gone to purchase food only to find that none of it was there and uh, I couldn't get anything and we could there was the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 and some of us ended up trying to ship it over from China and paying $70 for a very small small roll of toilet paper, realizing only later that we were totally ripped off by that. Um, maybe I'm just projecting, that's my story, maybe it's not yours, but, but crazy things have been happening. And so there have been, get this, I mean, this year, we even had an earthquake in Melbourne, an earthquake. I mean, and if you just look at all of the things that I'm talking about, you'd say, hey, are we in the end times? Is this the end of it? Is this where we're at? Is Jesus coming back? And I think it's probably a, a, a pretty fair question as well. Oh, not to mention, I did forget one thing. We had crazy weather. We had crazy storms. People lost houses. Let's just add that into the great mix that is Melbourne. And so anyway, um, maybe, maybe the end times is localized. Maybe it is just for Melbourne. We're ending and everyone else continues. I, I, that, that's a theory I hadn't thought of before, but it's a possibility. And so um, the study that we're doing today, what we're learning about, something that we call eschatology, is a study of end times, what happens at the end. And so today uh, I want to share a message that I think is really important. And I uh, have done a, a, a lot of reading and, and research, and it's just good to know this stuff anyway. But I've done a lot of reading and there have been times, I'll be honest with you, where I just felt like saying to God, you know, you made the world in six days. You could have made this a little easier to understand. Why don't you just take us from point A to point Z? You could have just been, I like bullet points. I like dot points. I want to know, you know, what happens under this. But it, it didn't really happen like that in the scriptures. It's sort of a little bit all over the place and we piece it together. I'll tell you about that in a second. But if you are new and you don't come to church and you're trying to figure out what's the scriptures and, and the Bible, what's all about? Well, let me tell you something. The Bible is the progressive revelation of God as He is redeeming humanity. That's really what it's all about. And at the very start of the Bible, people didn't know much about God, you know, and He, sure, He created everything, but people didn't know much about Him. And we see over time that He's revealed more of who He is. And then in the fullest extent, revealing Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus Christ being fully man, fully God, all at the same time, and He is the embodiment of God. He is what the Scriptures say, the Word of God. He is the Word incarnate. He is God incarnate. So, so Jesus came in there. When Jesus came, we, we learned so much more about God, about His character, about how He sees people and humanity. And so that's what the Scriptures are really all about. And, and so when we read it, 
you got to understand there's a lot of history in this book. And so when this was written, if we were to open it, there are, there are things that are in, a lot of this is in our past. But at the time when this was written, there were things that they wrote about their future. Now, their future has become our past because we're past that and we can look back on the things that they predicted and we can see the things that came to pass. But I'll tell you something else too. There are scriptures in the Bible that are still yet to be fulfilled and those things are in our future. And so we're still waiting for some of those things to happen. And largely this message is gonna take us on that journey and help us to unpack really what does happen to towards the end and how does this all unfold? And I say unfold, but I'm telling you, it's, it's a bit of a jigsaw, right? So there's pieces over here in the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and very important books that we need to pay attention to. And what I've done to the best of my ability is to arrange these in chronological order so we can have some sense and understanding about how this whole thing is going to play out. The other thing I would say is, I, I got to be honest and tell you that in the course of doing my study this time, I've actually probably shifted my perspective just a little bit on how I see this. And I, I'm, I'm excited to tell you all about that as well. So here's what we have in the scriptures. We have details, we have time frames, but we don't have dates, right? Maybe some dates of things that are past, but the things that we're talking about in the future, we don't have specific dates unless you're Jehovah's Witness and they've predicted the end of the world eight times. They keep getting it wrong. Are you familiar with the phrase quit while you're ahead? So anyway, or maybe not ahead. Anyway, the point is, is that no one knows the time or date that some of these things are happening. That's something that the scriptures say. But what are we talking about here today? We are talking about God. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about uh, Satan. We're talking about the Antichrist. We're talking about the mark of the beast. We're talking about the false prophet. Uh, we're talking about judgment. We're talking about the end of all things, right? So, so really, it sounds like the apocalypse, that is an appropriate word for the, for the message today. It's not the title of my message, but it could be. But the book of Revelation in its original Greek language, right? That word for Revelation actually is the word where we get apocalypse. And so it tells us about end times, end things. So today I'm going to try to unpack the past, the, the, the present, where we are now, and then really what we expect to happen in the future. And I'm going to begin with one of the most profound scriptures you will read in the Bible. It's in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack this as we go. Now, bear with me because this is a mega message and I am going to do my best to condense the parts that we can condense and to extrapolate the things that we need to extrapolate. Because if I don't explain this, you may not understand this and you're going to leave in a little bit and say, no idea what happened. So let me try to help you today. It begins, right? So Daniel living in the sixth century says, 70 weeks, that's not an actual 70 weeks. Boy, we're two words in and we already need to explain it. 70 weeks. And he says that that actually means 70 lots of seven years. So 70 weeks are decreed about, pay attention, your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put to an end sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Only one person can do all of that. There's only one person that can bring in that kind of uh, present reality. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand 
that from the, now this is important, the going out of the word to restore Jerusalem. When did the word go out to, to restore Jerusalem? That's an important date that we need to mark and look at. Now, there were many words that went out to restore Jerusalem, but the one that we're going to look at specifically today, or the one that I'd say they were talking about, is 457 BC with King Artaxerxes, because this is the one where he spoke to Ezra, and this is the one where all the Jews actually came back. Now, this is going to matter, and it's going to blow your mind in just a moment, and I'll explain why, right? But from this date to the coming of the Anointed One, who's that? That's Messiah. That is Jesus. I just thought that when I said Jesus, the people in this room would get a little more excited. That's the coming of the anointed one. That is Jesus. Thank you. A prince there shall be for seven weeks. Now we're going to see some time frames here. For seven weeks, then for 62 weeks. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks gives us a total of 69 weeks. It goes on to say that it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks... Listen to this. An anointed one, Messiah Jesus, shall be cut off and have nothing. You know what I think that's about? That's the, I think that's about the crucifixion. That's about when Jesus died on the cross. And here's what's really interesting. When they would count the days of the year, back then in this time, they would count 360 day years. And if you take 69 weeks and, you, you know, and we're saying 69 you know, weeks of seven years and you add up all the dates and you, and you start from the time that King Artaxerxes, that the word was sent out and we work out all the maths, right? It brings you to the exact week of the crucifixion. I would say that that is a pretty accurate prophecy. Brings you to the exact uh, week that Jesus uh, died on the cross. It goes on to say, and there, and the people of the prince who is to come, right? Well, the people of the prince, so maybe the Antichrist, he's coming, right? But the people, his people, you know, and, and I would say that in history, there's been a lot of Antichrist type people. There is an Antichrist spirit that is in the world. We see it all the time. I've encountered it. You've encountered it. It says, The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. That happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Remember, this is, this is being written in 6th century. Okay, so this is a long, long way. This is a, a big prediction. And then what I think happens in this scripture is we have, a, I think we have a little gap in here. And the scripture goes on, but I think there's a little gap in here. And I'll explain why in, in a moment, right? So we've got 69 weeks. And then there's this gap before we hit the 70th week. It says when the 70th, it, well, it doesn't say this part, but I say when the 70th week comes, it goes on to say, its end shall come with a flood. It's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. And to the end, there shall be war. So that's in our future. Then it says something important. Desolations are decreed. Jesus spoke about this and he called it the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 15. I'll tell you what that is in a, in a, in a little bit. And it says, and he being, now I think we're talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, that week that he makes that strong covenant with, that's the 70th week. So we're in a gap right now, but that's the 70th week. And for half of, half of that time, right? So, and for half of the week, 
So what are we saying? Three and a half years into that week, so three and a half years into that covenant, you will see what's called the abomination of desolation. Again, I'll explain what that is. And he shall put to an end sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Aren't you glad that I studied this and just delivered it to you? So what do we see happening here? Well, Jesus died on the 69th week of this prophecy that we see out of Daniel. And then what happened after he died? Well, after he died, he commissioned something called the, his ecclesia, right? His ecclesia, that's his, is his church. And, and the church, if you're new, is not a building, right? It's his people. And he commissioned his people. And what does that mean? But we are in the age of the church right now. And so we see something very interesting. 69 weeks leading up to Jesus' death. And then we have the age of the church. And then something's going to happen. And we're going to have that 70th week that comes afterwards. So are we in the last days? Well, Apparently 69 weeks have come and uh, we're just waiting for that 70th week to start. And so we would say, yeah, we're, well, we're in the last days. But here's interesting point. We've been in the last days for a few thousand years now. I guess we just don't know when it's really going to happen. But there's a couple of reasons why we would say that we're in the last days. And if you read the scriptures in the book of Acts, it says that, uh, that, they will pour, that He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And when should that happen? In the last days, right? So we know that we're in the last days because the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And since that's our past, that means that we're still there. So we are still in the last days and we're waiting on that 70th week. Now that 70th week is a period of, of seven years and it will be, well, it will be the worst. It will be the absolute worst. And this is how Jesus explained it to his disciples. I'm going to read to you out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 3. I'm going to start in 3 and go through to verse 14. It says, as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, right? Wars and rumours, that could be right now. That sounds very relevant to us right now. He says, see that you are not alarmed, uh, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. What is he talking about there? Race will rise against race. I could talk about that so much. And, and, and you know, people groups today and, and, and politics and different, how people uh, group identity politics. We could talk a lot about that, but I'm not going to say anything about that. But he says that race will rise against race or nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. What does that mean? Country against country. There will be famines, right? Like, you know, when you go to coals and they're out of everything. Maybe not quite, but there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Hello, Melbourne. And these things are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, this is, gets interesting. Then, and it feel, I think there could be a little gap in here, right? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations. Surprise, surprise, everyone's offended at the name of Jesus, right? The people will be offended. Uh, verse 10, it says, Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 
13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I think the scripture that I just read is actually happening during the tribulation. At this point, I would say that the Antichrist has been revealed, but there are elements of what I'm talking about. And it kind of feels like part of this could have been today. Like, you know, I mean, it feels like part of this is reality for us right now, but I don't think so. So how close are we to this? How close are we to the end? When will the Antichrist rise? When are we, you know, when is it really the beginning of the end? Well, if you ask my Nana, it's any day now. And, uh, and every Nana says that, by the way, if they're a Bible-believing Nana, they all say that. In fact, every generation has said, um, we are in the last days. Jesus could come back any moment. And I think, you know, that is, that is true. But there are some things, he could come back at any moment. That's absolutely true. But there are some things that need to happen sequentially, right? So what do we call those? We call these signs. So what signs should we look for? Well, I'll, I'll give you a big sign today that we should look for. Don't worry, it'll find you when it happens. But there's a, there's a big sign that we could look out for. And when this happens, then we would know that we are well on our way to seeing the beginning of the end, okay? So the Scriptures say that for the Antichrist to be revealed, for the Antichrist to be revealed, right? 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says that the restrainer must be taken out of the way. The restrainer needs to be taken out of the way. So the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer is taken out. So if we could just figure out who the restrainer was, then we would know that as soon as they're taken out, that that would mark a very significant moment because it paves the way for the Antichrist to come. Apparently, whoever the restrainer is, is that they're keeping the Antichrist at bay in some way, shape or form. So who's the restrainer? Well, we have limited options here. And you say, who could it possibly be? Well, uh, option one is it could be God, right? Is it God? Does God need to get out of the way? And I suggest not. Okay, so the Holy Spirit was on the earth before people were here. He's here during people. He's going to be here after we're gone. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to get out of the way. I don't think God needs to get out of the way. And if you think, well, what else could possibly restrain the Antichrist from coming? What carries spiritual authority and could restrain these things, the kingdom of darkness from moving forward? And the only thing I can think of is the church. A church filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit that pray, preach the gospel, communicate the truth and reality of, of where we are, where humanity is at. And in some way, that the church is restraining. It's got to be the church. I, I can't think of what else it could be that would restrain the Antichrist from coming. But as soon as they're taking it out, it, it paves a way for the Antichrist to come. Now, here's an important question. How could you get... The restrainer being the church, and let's remember it's not a building, it's God's people. How could you get the whole church out of the way in one moment? The twinkling of an eye maybe, right? How could you get the whole church out of the way in one moment, paving a way for the restrainer to come, right? Well, that brings me to the rapture. 
And when we say the rapture, for some people, I know they don't believe in the rapture because they say that the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the word Bible is not in the Bible and you can walk around and carry it. So let's look at the word rapture and remember something very important, right? The word rapture actually comes out of the Latin Vulgate. It's a, it's a translation of a different word, right? But what it actually means is to be caught up. And the Greek word is hapazo. So the word hapazo, being caught up, right? So what we should really, what we call it the rapture, right? But the whole church would be caught up in one moment. Let me read to you a scripture. And if you, if you struggle to believe it, you're going to have to figure out a way around this scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. That means that they've died. So He's going to bring those that have fallen asleep. Okay, verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul's very specific about it. He says, I got this directly from the Lord. He says that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this is where it gets fantastical. <laughs> then we who are alive, who are left, so we're still on the earth. When, and, and there is a, this is when Jesus comes. I'll explain that in a moment. But when He comes back, in one way, right? We who are left will be caught up. Well, that's the word, hapazo. We will be hapazo together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is the most fantastical thing I think I've probably seen in the, in, in, in the Bible. We will actually be caught up. And actually, if you, if you look at that word hapazo, it's like, it's actually a, a real sign of strength. You've been snatched up. It's like He just takes you, right? It's not like you just wanted to go, right? You've been snatched up, right? And, and here's the really cool part. We meet the Lord in the air. Now, it's always been a dream of mine to fly. And this is as close as I'm going to get if the Lord comes back in my time. And so I, I'm pretty keen for this to actually happen. But, right, honestly, if you're watching this today and you're not a Christian, I don't know what you're saying, but even if you are a Christian, you're like, okay, okay, okay. This is pretty fantastical. I get it, Right. And the reason why is because we've, we've, we've really never seen anything like this before. So whenever we're trying to figure out if something, oh, could that happen? Wait, let me check my past, my history, right? Have I ever seen anything like this? And if you have, let us know. You can email us at Bright Church. But, but I'm suggesting that most people have never seen anything like this, right? So just so you know, there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen that you've never seen before. And if your filter for figuring out what's truth or error is that you have to have seen it first for it to become reality, oh boy, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be so disappointed because a lot of things are going to happen, right? So has this ever happened before? Well, it might surprise you to know that it has. And you've, if you're a Bible reading uh, God-fearing Christian, then you've actually read this many, many times. And I'll explain where. If you take the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So let's keep the same word, hapazo. And let's see if we can find that word, hapazo, in the Old Testament. You might be surprised to find that it is in there uh, on a number of occasions. I'll give you one. 
1. In Genesis chapter 3, Enoch, he walked with God and he was so close with God and then he was herpazo. He was no more. He was snatched away and he just, he was walking on the earth. Next minute, he's with God. So he was herpazo. And then if you continue to read, you'll see that Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 18, he was herpazo too in a fiery chariot, I might add. And if you have to go, I mean, that is the way to go. I don't know what the modern translation of chariot would be, possibly an Aston Martin. So my, how, how, am I, how do I want to go? A fiery Aston Martin. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen. God made the world in six days. He could probably arrange it, but he probably won't. But anyway, I feel like I'm sidetracking everything right now. But Elijah, he was Hepazo. There's some interesting times when people were just taken away, right? I want to tell you a really interesting story, and I'm not going to go into any detail. But if you know the story of Lot and his family who lived in Sodom, God was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But do you remember that he had to get Lot and his family? Because what did Abraham say? He said, hey, if we find any righteous people in there, will you destroy the city? And he whittles it all the way down to Lot and his family, indicating to us that there is some righteousness about them. Not that they didn't make any mistakes, but there was a certain righteousness about them. Maybe it was just their faith in God that was accredited to Abraham, maybe accredited to them too. But here they are, this righteous family. And what happened, right? The angels came and they get them out. They get them out of the city before the wrath of God is poured out on the city. That's important for us to know. It's almost like a mini rapture, isn't it? Like gets them out before the wrath of God comes. Interesting to note. Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, we're in the New Testament now, by the way, right? He, he, he starts explaining Isaiah to this Ethiopian eunuch who has an encounter with God, gets baptized. What happened to Philip? Boom, Hapazo, away to some other city somewhere. He was Hapazo. Paul was Hapazo. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I know a man. He was talking about himself, we think. I know a man who was what? Caught up. He was Hapazo. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, by the way, in chapter 4 and verse 1 says that he was Hapazo. He was caught up. In fact, if you take the book of Revelation and say, how did we get it? Where did it come from? It came from Hapazo. It came from a moment where, Paul, where uh, sorry, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was caught up. And in that moment, it was all detailed to him. He came back and wrote it. So has this ever happened before? Yep. Now we enter into the age of the church. And how does that end? Well, I think it's probably going to end with Hepazo. I think that's what's going to happen first, right? Now, no one knows when, no one knows when it's going to happen, right? So just keep an eye out. Because if you happen to be grinding at the mill and your friend is suddenly gone, you have made a mistake, okay? And you want to figure out what you're going to do next, right? Because they have been hapazo, right? That's what the Scriptures say. Jesus said, it'll be like in the days of Noah. Uh, everyone will be relaxed and eating and drinking. And, and, and then suddenly, right, it's going to happen. It'll happen so quick that people won't realize it, right? What's my point? Church, don't get too relaxed. Don't get too relaxed. You can't afford to be relaxed because this could happen. I, I think it could, it's imminent. It could happen at any moment, right? Is the Antichrist alive right now? I don't know, possibly, right? But he won't be revealed until the church is out the way. But as soon as the church goes, that's when you'll have the answer to that question. And if you're waiting till then to find out, it'll be too late. So you don't want to wait for that moment. I'm telling you right now, stop waiting for some moment in time where you really are going to get your life right. 
Stop waiting for that moment in time. Next week, I'm really going to deal with that sin in my life. Next week, I'm really going to deal with that addiction. I'm going to get serious about God in a couple years. I've got a couple of things I'm going to do first. That's what I said, by the way. That was a big mistake. Thank God that Jesus didn't return in that time, right? I'm going to do a couple of things first in my life. Then I'm going to get serious about God. No, 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 no. Get serious about God today. Get serious about God today because this is a present reality. Okay, we need to, we need to get that, right? Remember, remember what Jesus said? He said, some will come and say, but Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And what did he say? I didn't know you. You might have done some things to build your own platform and ministry. And maybe people revered you and they thought, you're a great preacher. Lord, I did things in your name. I, oh, you should have, yeah, Lord, did you know how many Instagram followers I had? Every healing miracle. I always recorded them, right? Did you see all the likes that I got? He goes, yeah, but you didn't even know me. You were trying to build your platform, not mine. See, we're supposed to be building Jesus's platform. All of this is all about Him. It's all about Him, right? We've got to remember that. We've got to keep that in the forefront of my mind, you know, in, of our minds. You know, the thing is, is that people from the outside looking in think that Christianity is religion. And, and, and when this happens, you'll, real, you'll realize at this moment, no, 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 no. It was always about relationship because the only way you get in is on relationship. So you, you, you don't catch Jesus by hanging out with church people, right? You can't catch it. You've got to receive Him for yourself. You've got to make a decision to follow Him for yourself. So this is a really important part of this, right? By the way, I would say there are other compelling reasons why I would say that there is a rapture, a catching up, a snatching away. Because Paul the, Paul the Apostle, he said in, to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, that God has not destined people for wrath, we have been destined for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're not destined for wrath. God doesn't pour out His wrath on people. And there's a good reason for that. Why? Well, think about what Jesus did. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says that Jesus is our propitiation. Now, if you don't know what it means, hang tight. Propitiation is a sacrifice that turns wrath into blessing. Okay? So here's, here's what happens. We sin against God. We make mistakes. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes and we're in trouble. Jesus Christ came to represent humanity, paid the penalty for our sins. Now, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you make an exchange. And what happens is He pays the penalty for all of your sin and removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And what do you get in return? You wear the righteousness of Christ. You get it gifted to you. It is given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't get it, you know, by being a good person. Not, nothing like that. You got it by faith. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So if you have a relationship with God, you can come into the presence of God anytime. And even if you know that things aren't quite right in your life, but what does the Scripture say? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So you're going after God. Jesus is your Savior. When God looks on you, He sees the righteousness of His Son. And that's important to remember because why would God ever pour out wrath on His righteous Son? So now we go, well, the church will never suffer the wrath of God. So what is God's wrath? Well, it's His divine punishment and judgment against sin and unrighteousness. That's what that is. And the church will never have to worry about it. But you know what we do have to worry about? Persecution. And persecution and wrath look pretty similar, but they are different. So wrath 
is God's divine judgment against unrighteousness. And what is persecution? That's the devil's attack on the people of God. And if you look around the world right now, hey, you know, we see this. There are more martyrs that are happening today than any other time in history. And if you go to places in North Korea and China, Afghanistan, I could keep going. There are so many nations where people are being martyred for their faith. It is absolutely happening. The church will go through persecution, but we will never go through the wrath of God. It doesn't make sense even theologically. So I want you to see something really important. When Jesus comes back, right, and, and there is a rapture, His feet never touch the ground, right? We are caught up and we meet Him in the air. But then there, now, now that that's happened, what happens next? Well, now that the church is out the way, the Antichrist can be revealed. And then that thing begins. And then there is a second coming of Jesus later on. So when Jesus comes back to rapture the church, that's not the second coming. That still happens later. I just think it's important to understand that. So after the rapture, what do we get? Well, what did the prophet Daniel say? There will be a 70th week, right? The 70th week will begin. The Antichrist will rise. And by the way, who is this guy anyway? All right. Lots of thoughts about the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? People have said over history, it would be uh, the Pope. They said Hitler, Napoleon, even Emperor Nero. And actually, Emperor Nero is a really good guess. And, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because Emperor Nero, his, his name, when in, in Greek, transliterated into Hebrew. And, and if you add up the value of his name, right, you, you get the number 666. So that's pretty accurate. Also, he, he, he thought he was a god. Also, he, he killed Christians. He actually put spears through them and lit them on fire and used them to light his walkway. He was insane. He burnt his city, blamed the Christians, and then persecuted them for it. So Emperor Nero was a pretty bad guy. I would say an antichrist, but I don't think that he could be the antichrist because there are things that need to happen in that 70th week that didn't happen back then. And what did I say before? We see the spirit of antichrist in the world. And what does the devil want more than anything else? He wants to be worshipped as God. And so he will work through people. And I think over time in history, there would be many people that have claimed to be some kind of God and wanted to be worshipped. But I don't think Emperor Nero was necessarily the Antichrist. Let's read uh, a little bit about the Antichrist to kind of figure out who he is. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. The heading in my Bible says, the first beast. It says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Right? When it says rising out of the sea, it means out of the multitudes of people. So one person is going to rise up amongst all the people on the earth with 10 horns. We're talking about kingdoms and seven heads and t t 10 diadems uh, on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Right Now, if you go back and look in the book of Daniel and you, and you start to read about the different kingdoms and the nations, you start to understand who some of these people groups that he's now referring to are. So, so I'll, I'll translate, right? He was like a leopard. That was Alexander the Great. His feet were like that of a bear's. That refers to the Persians. And his mouth was like that of a lion's, right? A lion's mouth. Well, that was the Babylonians. Then it says, and to it the devil or the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have, now this is talking about the Antichrist, listen to this. One of its heads, the Antichrist, 
seemed to have a mortal wound, but the mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled and they followed the beast. That tells us something about what's going to happen to him. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Well, I do have an idea about that, but I'll save it for the end. No, this guy is actually known as the man of lawlessness, or the beast. You can read about him in many places. I'll give you just a couple. Revelation 6, Revelation 13, Isaiah 14. Look, read the book of Daniel, Amos, Peter, Zephaniah. There are more references, right? But once you start to look for it, right, you see that this guy is throughout uh, the Bible. We see him. And I think most likely going to be some kind of military leader or, or political figure in some way, totally possessed and empowered by the devil, right? Revelation 13 told us what? That he would suffer a mortal wound and he'd be healed and everyone would be blown away. And as a result, they would, be, they would worship him, right? Because they'd say, this guy, there's no way that you could be healed from that, a mortal wound. Now, this sounds kind of familiar because Jesus was crucified and he resurrected from the dead. Don't you see that what the enemy tries to do constantly is he tries to replicate it in a different way. So what do we say? If you are a Christian, you believe in the Trinity of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, you know, the devil has his own version of that. The devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. I'll tell you about him in a little bit, right? So everyone that follows the beast takes a mark of the beast, right? And people have been trying to figure this out for a very, very long time. And I've heard all kinds of things, right? I mean, geez, when... Look, when the vaccination came out, somebody said, it's the beast. Yeah, it's the mark. It's the mark. Don't get vaccinated. It's the mark, right? I don't think that's true. Yeah. People have said all kinds of things, right? When the, when the vaccine passport came out, it's the mark, right? I, I'm telling you, Christian people, we are looking for this thing everywhere. We are looking for this mark. It's got to be there somewhere. Let's keep our eyes open. If we look back through even like the last 30 years, people thought that credit cards were a mark, you know, and, and, and people are absolutely concerned about this mark. Let, can we, let's just talk about the mark for a moment. What I think is really interesting is if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 8, it says that God told His people to write His commandments, right, on their right hand and on their foreheads, right? And so what does this represent? Now, even though they physically wrote it on something and put it between their forehead, right? What does it really represent? Well, you know, you, you, your forehead could represent your thoughts really easily. And your hands represent the actions. How do things happen? First, it's a thought, then it becomes action. I just had an idea. I thought, what if the mark of the beast wasn't actually something that you got tattooed on your hand? What if it was simply that your thoughts and your actions lined up with the beast? What if that was what was written on you? Jesus looks at your heart. He pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marriage, discerning the thoughts and intentions of men. What, what if the thing is, what if, what if the mark was something intangible? That would make, certainly make people feel very comfortable to, to go along with the beast and, if, and say, oh, but I never took the mark. Won't they be surprised if they find out that it wasn't actually a physical mark, it was what you did with your heart. It was what you did with your soul. It was where you gave your allegiance to. It's what you gave permission to. Imagine if that was it. Now, I don't know what the mark of the beast is. Maybe that is it. You know, uh, maybe it's, it, it's something different. But I know that whatever it is, right, there will be an intentional decision. And no one's going to be thinking, is this it? 
We will know. You will know because if you take that mark, your allegiance will be to the Antichrist and everyone will know. You'll be able to make an easy decision. So please, let's just, no, no one freaking out about the mark, all right? At the, at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist, here's what he'll do. Remember the book of Daniel, he'll make a covenant, a strong covenant was the word, and the covenant will last seven years. Why do we know that? Well, because we were told that it would be for one week, all right? So we'll make a strong covenant and we believe with Israel, make a strong covenant with Israel. And some people think that he may even be received, possibly, possibly they will think that he's the Messiah. Why? He resurrected from the dead. He had a mortal wound and he came back. And some people may, if he makes a strong covenant with Israel and, and, and appears to be protecting them and is resurrected from the dead, they might give their allegiance to him. This is a possibility. Revelation 6 speaks of seven trumpets and seven seals and that will be broken. And I want to just kind of really quickly break down what these things are. Now, it's kind of confusing when you read the Scriptures because if you read Revelations, uh, you see, for the first thing you see is the seals. Uh, and then you read, and that's in chapter 6. And then I think in chapter 8, you start to read about the trumpets. But those things are actually happening at the same time. So John tells you about one, then he goes back and he tells you about the other. More confusing, he appears to do it in a reverse order because the seals don't seem to be broken until the sixth trumpet. It's just reversed. Aren't you so glad that I did this and just deliver it to you? So let me tell you something about it. The trumpets will release what? Well, there are different plagues and they actually mirror the plagues that we saw in Egypt. Hail, blood, poison, darkness, and locusts. That sets the scene for something very significant to happen. If that's happening in the world, people are gonna need someone to rise up and rescue humanity, right? The sixth trumpet blasts and it releases seals one to four. What are seals one to four? You've heard it before. It's the four horsemen, right? And who comes out? The first one that comes out on a white horse. People read it, think it's Jesus. Oh, no, it's not. That's the Antichrist. He comes out. He is a conqueror. And that's why I said earlier, probably a military or political leader because he is going to come out as a conqueror. That's the first horse. The second one is war. The third one is famine and the fourth one is death. And when we get to that point, they will have permission to wipe out a quarter of humanity. Now, we've never seen anything like this. We're talking about, you know, in today's current figures, 1.7 billion people will be dead. 1.7 billion people. Corona, what? Forget about it. I'm concerned about this. Seal number five Right, you got to remember something else. If this is happening during the uh, Great Tribulation, then all the Christians have been caught up. They've been snatched away. But people will remember. They'll remember what happened. It was only a couple of years ago that there were all these people here. It's like something out of the Avengers. They're snapped away and they're gone. They'll say, we still remember that they were there. And what will they do? Well, there will be people in that time, in that season, that will understand the truth and they will give their hearts and lives to Jesus. People that were maybe had grown cold in their heart towards the Lord and they go, no, we see it now. 
We've made a mistake. We've missed the boat, but there's still a chance here. We're going to confess them all the way to the end and they will be martyred for their faith. That's seal number five. They'll be martyred for their faith. Seal number six, there'll be earthquakes and mountains. It says islands will be displaced, right? Entire islands. That sounds horrible. Seventh seal, thunder and lightning and more earthquakes. Apparently a lot of earthquakes. So here's the really scary thought. People are looking for signs, right? All these things have got to happen. You know, what would be really scary if all of those things happened in the 70th week. So people are looking, oh, we're not close. We're not close yet until the church is raptured. And then what happens? We start the 70th week. And if you find yourself at the beginning of that week, like what did Jesus say? Head for the hills. He said, seriously, that is going to be a terrible, terrible season for humanity, right? It says three and a half years into that covenant, if you read Daniel chapter 9, comes the abomination of desolation is what Jesus called it. And then after that, the worst three years that have ever been and ever will be will happen. And you do not want to be on the earth at that time. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says that the Antichrist will take his seat in the rebuilt temple of Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation. That'll happen in the middle and he'll declare himself to be God. He'll come with false signs and wonders, possibly resurrecting from the dead, being a Messiah type figure. And uh, if you're still around because you haven't been raptured, what did Jesus say? Head for the hills. Don't go back and get your cloak. You know what he's saying? If you can find a cave somewhere on planet earth and wait this thing out for three and a half years, do that because you don't want to be out. You don't want people to know who you are. You don't want to be seen. This will be the worst time ever on the earth. Now, during the tribulation, we'll see another guy arise. And I'm only going to do this really quickly because believe it or not, I actually am drawing this message to a close. Um, and I want to tell you about the false prophet. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 12 to 14. It exercises all the authority of the first beast. Who's that? The Antichrist. And uh, in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven uh, to earth in front of people. And the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Right? This is the worst time to be on planet earth. In fact, Jesus said, if his time was, if this time wasn't cut short, no human being would even survive it, right? And in the middle, when it's at its peak and darkness is at an all-time high, suddenly Jesus comes back. He returns, right? Jude chapter 1, verse 14 to 15 says that Jesus will come with 10,000, right? That word 10,000, it actually doesn't mean 10,000. It means incalculable, right? Hundreds of millions of who? Of His holy ones, and they will come back. Come back from where? Well, remember, they were raptured. They were taken away, and now at this point, they come back to the earth. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says, Then I saw, and by the way, this is really the pinnacle of all things Christianity. This is, this is a, an unbelievable scripture. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's what I said earlier. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And listen to this, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of, the, of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written. Uh, he's got a tattoo, guys. King of kings and Lord of lords. People say, Jesus, Jesus, meek and mild. Are you kidding me? Do you know who this guy is? Yes, there is a time where he is full of grace. But at this point, he comes back to defeat Satan and judge the world. He is anything but meek and mild when we get to this point. People forget that this is who he is. And when he comes back, you've got to remember sin and darkness. Everything is at an all-time high. The Antichrist is ruling. People are dying. It's horrific, right? And he comes back to defeat him with 10,000, hundreds of millions of his holy ones. And there is a battle and a showdown. And I don't know what you think about it, right? There's some people that think that, that, you know, God fights against the devil and the devil fights back and it's pretty even and he's winning and he's winning, right? And it's different. Let me tell you how it really, really, really goes down, right? It says, with his breath, he destroys him. He brings him to nothing. Now, I was at a kid's birthday yesterday, Bowden, my nephew, and he leans over the candles and he blows them out. For all of the devil's authority, and power and everything that he's done to destroy humanity and bring darkness into the world. And Jesus comes back. He doesn't even have to raise an arm, just a little, and it's all done. You, you, you gotta understand something about the power of Jesus and, and who God really is. He's called the Lord God Almighty, not some mighty. You know, He's the Lord God Almighty. He's completely mighty. What happens next? Well. He, he brings to nothing the Antichrist and, and then Satan is bound for a thousand years. In fact, Jesus doesn't even do it. He actually gets an angel to throw him in a pit and he's bound for a thousand years. And this is where we come to the millennium, right? And in this millennium, it said what? That Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. What does that mean? There is a, that word millennium or a thousand years, it doesn't actually mean a thousand years, but it just means a really long time. So for a really long time, what happens? Jesus will rule and all the oppression of Satan and his influence on the world will be gone for a long time. At the very end of that, he will be let out for a short time to deceive the nations. And, and I'm telling you, like people will take his side, right? And you gotta ask yourself the question. He's gonna come out to deceive the nations at the end of the millennium. After a really long time, he'll come out, right? Why would you back this horse? He just keeps losing. He loses again and again. He's never defeated Jesus. He's never done it, but he's gonna, you know, confuse people again. And they say, yep, we'll back you. Let's do this. Some people think it's gonna be a physical thing. And the, the enemies of the nations, they'll array themselves against God and His people. And what happens at that point? There's not even really much of a war. It says that fire comes out of heaven and puts Satan 
and the Antichrist and the beast in the lake of eternal fire. And then what happens next? We come to the great white throne where God or Jesus, I should say, He judges the entire world, right? And when He judges the world, two books are open. One book is called the Book of Life. And your name is in that book if you've asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins and you've accepted Him as your Lord and Saviour and you wear the righteousness of Christ, right? Your name will be written in that book. Then there's a lot of other books, I I, I think, right? I know how big the book is, right? But it, it, it has a record of every wrong thing you've ever done. Now, the only way to get that expunged, to get that, to get rid of that, is to get your name in the other book. And how do you do that? You give your life to Jesus. But if you choose after after all of this to continue to not accept Jesus, right? You gotta understand something, right? Jesus doesn't wanna send anyone to hell. How do we know that? He gave His life for it, so He never had to. He was willing to die so that no one else would, eternally speaking. He was willing to die for it. But after all of that, people say, no, I want nothing to do with Him. I'll never receive Him as my Lord and Saviour. Your name will be read out in the other book, along with every other wrong thing you've ever done. And the moment that that happens, all those people, everyone whose name and deeds are in that book, they will join the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet in the lake of fire for all eternity. It doesn't disappear. It's an eternal dwelling place. There are many times in the Scriptures where He makes this clear. My advice, choose carefully which book you want to be in. Make the decision today. Stop putting it off. Why wait? Why wait? What are you waiting for? Jesus could come back any minute. Let me tell you what happens after all of this, right? He does His final work. It's the restoration of heaven and earth. They say, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. What I think Jesus does, or what God does is He makes it new. Some people are going to say, no, no, no. He just starts again. I feel like if He started again, that'd be like just tipping your cap to the devil. You, you, you made it so bad that I couldn't fix it. What I see consistently in Scripture is that we're made a new creation. He does a restoring work. I think what's going to happen, He's going to restore the earth. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Let me read it to you. Revelation 21 verse 1 to 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is as wild as it gets. And this is all still to come. You know, I think there are so many times we are so preoccupied with our lives and what's happening around us. When you take a step back from your own life, you realize this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. He just features all the way through. He's done everything. This is His story. It's His feature. 
We're like the extras in the most epic story that will ever be told, right? But He loves those extras and gave His life. I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, all of the, the stuff that I told you about today, all the, all the horrible stuff, yes, we should be concerned about persecution. Yes, it's happening in the world today. Yeah, we absolutely see that. But the wrath that's poured out at the tribulation, it's not something that you have to worry about, right? If you're not a Christian, if by the end of today, you still think you want to roll the dice and just wait and see what happens, I, I would really advise against that, actually. I think that would be the wrong move to make. What you want is your name to be in the book of life. And there is one way that you get it there. You give your heart, you give your life to Jesus, you make a decision to follow Him. He's not just your Savior, He becomes your Lord, which means you bring your life into alignment with all the things that He's asked. You make that decision, you pray this prayer, you become saved by grace. Nothing that you've done today to earn it. You're saved by grace through faith in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, I would love to lead anyone in a prayer that wants to pray that today. And the words that I use, nothing magical about them, right? This is a prayer. And we say these words to convey what's actually going on inside of our hearts. But that's the sticking point. If you don't believe it in your heart, it's not going to work for you. It's not effectual, right? If you want it to become come into effect, you say it with your you say it with your mouth, but you've got to believe it with your heart. Believe that Jesus loves you, that he gave up his life for you, that he died on the cross, that he wants to save you. You say that prayer, your life will be different. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's really easy. It's not a big prayer. Uh, so if that's you and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus today, then just repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.